Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Pete is going to come up and speak to us in a moment. And uh, he's asked me to read the passage that he's going to be speaking on today. And we're going to be in Luke 23. And this moment is when Jesus is being led to the cross where he's crucified. And we're going to be picking up the story just after he's been tried and sentenced to death. And it says this. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way into the country. They put a cross on him and made, it carry, made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people did these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led with him to be executed. They came to the place of the skull, and they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And the people stood watching, and even rulers sneered at him. And they said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. And there was a, uh, soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Thanks, Tim, and uh, a very good morning to you. For those of you who may not have met me before, my name is Pete, uh, and I have the privilege of being on staff team here at Ivy, and it's just such a privilege to be able to share with you guys this morning. So um, as many of you all know, we're in a series that we're calling Get Fruity, where we're looking at a passage in Galatians 5 uh, that talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And the writer of this, the Apostle Paul, he's basically talking about the stuff that gets produced in our lives when the Spirit of God is present and at work and I know for myself for many years I used to have this idea that if I just have enough of the Holy Spirit in me then love joy peace and all the rest of them will just somehow happen in me um, and, and, and the truth is, however close you are to Jesus, however present the Spirit of God is in our lives, he will never make you do, say, or be anything. And Paul, who wrote Galatians, he wrote another letter, and he helps us understand this. In Philippians 2, he writes this, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. In other words, he's saying you know, the presence of the Spirit gives us more of a capacity to tune into the desires of God. Anthony, who preached a great message last week, described it like this. He said, God never gives us anything apart 
from himself. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is formed in us because he gifts us with his presence. It's like he gives us a greater awareness of himself. I often use this phrase like a a God consciousness that permeates every moment of every day. So his presence informs our will and our desires to choose love, joy, peace, and so on. And this morning, we're going to be looking at patience. Now, in the digital age that we live in, time is a precious commodity, and we have so many technological innovations that exist to make our lives faster, easier, more efficient. But you know what? The irony is that despite all these technical and technological innovations, we're becoming more stressed, more busy, more hurried and impatient than ever. And I just think that patience just doesn't seem like a virtue that we really have, that has much value in our culture as it once did. In a recent study in the UK, it found that on average it takes just 16 seconds for a web page to load or 25 seconds waiting at a traffic light before we become impatient, irritated and angry. And then it said this, um, apparently when waiting for food in a restaurant, it takes just 14 minutes before again we feel impatient or annoyed. On average, 22 seconds waiting for a movie or a film to buffer or load. How many people help? The hate the dreaded turny wheel that just appears. I mean, I wonder now if you're watching this and your live stream froze because it was buffering, how long would it take you to get annoyed, or how long would it take you before you just gave up and switched off? I mean, as a society, we now innovate so we don't have to wait. And 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 I think so many of the great markers of our British society are failing. And so things like queuing. Like the Brits once loved to queue and now we can do click and collect shopping. We can order a Starbucks before we even arrive in store so we no longer have to wait in line. Although that being said, um, during this pandemic, um, it's meaning that queuing is making a comeback. So we're all good. And I must admit though, I audibly groan and feel a great sense of inconvenience every time I have to queue outside the supermarket. But I'm sure at some point we all fall victim to impatience in some way in our lives. And this morning, I just want to ask us this question. How does patience work itself out in such a fast pace and hurried society? I mean, what if patience could be one of the most valuable virtues that we could possess? I mean, what if patience could be one of the most formative parts of the fruit of the spirit that contributes not just to the formation of our character, but gives us the ability to love well and to come to a full of understanding of who Jesus is and what he's doing and how he's at work in the world. And so, you know, I believe that to be patient in the way that Jesus modeled and was patient, is to be defiant against the culture that's sometimes so quick to anger. To be patient as Jesus was patient is to be defiant against a culture of hurry that can so easily mean that we miss out on the fullness of all that God has for us as his people. And so with that said, let me pray and we're going to dive right in. So Father, I thank you that you're present with us. Wherever, however we're watching this, your spirit is present. And we just give you permission and we invite you to speak to us afresh. And so would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you're doing and saying to your church. Amen. Amen. So, okay, what I want you to do, in either audibly to the person next to you or maybe just in your mind, if you were to rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 on how patient you are, how would you rate yourself? 
Or to be more accurate, maybe get someone sat next to you or someone close to you to rate you. And I wonder how patient they would say that you are. This morning, I just want to look at three ways that the Bible understands patience and how it is outworked and formed in our lives. Now, when the Bible talks about patience, as read in the Galatians 5 passage in the fruits of the Spirit, um, fruit of the Spirit, um, the word used is a Greek word that's makrothumia, and it's a compound word. In other words, it's made up of two words. The first word, macro, simply means long, or sometimes can be translated as slow, and then thumia means temper, or or sometimes it's translated as suffering. And so in your Bibles, you might read the word patience. Sometimes it might say forbearance, but often it will say long-suffering. And then elsewhere in the Bible, instead of patience, it will say slow to anger. And we're just going to unpack these a little bit more as we understand what patience is. But the first marker, I believe, in fact, I think it's the starting place of understanding how patience is fully formed in us and outworked in our lives. And it's to know this, that to be patient is to love. To be patient is to love. And you know, we live in a culture that has this desire to consume that is driving everything to become instant. You know, information, answers, results, products, we want them here, we want them now. Um, As one person put it, a cultural commentator said this, our lives are turning into one giant vending machine and we're becoming addicted to it. I mean, we have things like Amazon Prime, which is a glorious thing, uh, I believe. So we don't have to wait more than a day for the things that we want to be delivered. Um, The other week, I I ordered a book off Amazon, and I got really annoyed with the fact that I wasn't eligible for a free next-day delivery. So guess what I did? Rather than waiting two days, I paid £5 so that it would arrive the next day. And the worst thing about it was, I still not read it. So that was a waste of money. But our ability to get what we want when we want it simply increases hurriedness and busyness. And it reduces our capacity to cultivate patience. And I am all for efficiency and speediness and all of that. But the problem is, when I read the Bible, God doesn't operate at the speed that we do. God operates at a much slower kind of pace. And when I read the scriptures and and, and what I've experienced in my own life is that the times I've seen God move, the times I've heard his voice, the times that I've seen him at work in the world is when I have slowed down. It's when I wait. It's in the quiet and the stillness. Uh, And instead of pursuing and getting what I want right here, right now, I hear and I see God when I begin to walk in step with him at his pace. I wonder how many of us, from the relationships that we have in our lives, um, realize that hurry is not the speed of love. Like, no one feels loved when they are rushed or hurried uh, or at the receiving end of impatience. I mean, it just doesn't work like that. You, you can't feel loved when no one has the time to give to you. I mean, someone once said, you can't love in a hurry, and I believe that's so true. And, and what I notice in the life of Jesus is who, by the way, was a busy guy. It's just that he wasn't impatient and he wasn't hurried. But what I noticed that no matter where he was going, what he was doing, no matter what was on his agenda for the day, he was willing to be interrupted and inconvenienced. In fact, I think he operated at a pace which gave permission for him to be interrupted and inconvenienced. And in the reading that Tim read for us in Luke 23, Jesus 
is in a busy moment. He's been led away to be crucified unjustly. And still in that moment when all that stuff's weighing heavy on him, he takes the time to chat to a group of women and give them the time who are mourning for him. And then on the cross, when he's just bearing the weight of the whole sin of the world, he has the patience and, the, and the, just the heart and the love to take the time to give grace and love to the two criminals either side of him. I mean, we operate, and I say this to myself, I operate often at a million miles an hour all the time. And, and the truth is, when I'm unwilling to be interrupted, when my agenda is too important, we will so often miss what God is trying to do and say and how he is at work in the world. But maybe this morning you're someone, you just think, I long for God to do more in my life. I long to hear his voice. I long to see him at work in my life and my work and, and my family. And if that's true for you and you feel like you're not seeing it and you're not hearing him, Maybe it's not because he's not speaking or doing anything, but maybe we need to slow down. We need to be willing to be interrupted and inconvenienced and let him show you what he's doing. Uh, to be those who are fully present in every moment, in every day, and begin to walk at his pace. At the beginning of the Galatians 5 passage, I know we haven't read it this morning, but Paul starts the passage about the fruit of the Spirit by saying this. He says, walk in step with the spirit and one writer i think he was a it was a chinese theologian he put it like this he said i think there's a reason people often use the phrase walking with god not running with god god walks slowly because he is love if he is not love he would have gone much faster love has its speed and it's an inner speed it's a spiritual speed it's a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are all accustomed it is slow yet it is lord over all other speeds since it is the speed of love to be patient i believe is the behavioral way to say firstly to god but also to the world i love you patience is the language it's the way we demonstrate love impatience is incompatible with love and that's why the bible time and times again describes god as being patient not just as something that he does but it is who he is because he is love the second way that i believe we understand patience and how it's outworked in our lives is that patience is slow to anger in fact Right at the root meaning of the word patience is slow to anger. And it's a phrase that is used to describe God throughout the scriptures time and time again. The psalmist uh, says this, the Lord is slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love. You know, apparently that passage, I think it first appears in like Exodus 34. It is the most quoted passage in the Bible by the Bible, and I think for very good reason. Um, I think for us, one of the best barometers, the best measures of our patience is how quick-tempered we are. And I imagine patience a little bit like a fuse, and depending on the length of your fuse kind of is a good measure of how patient that you are. But there'll become a moment when the fuse gets lit, and it's only a matter of time before something explodes or overflows in anger or frustration, sometimes malice. And what lights that fuse is going to be different for all of us, right? Now, I want to kind of precursor and say this. Anger isn't necessarily wrong. It's not necessarily a sin. We read times in throughout the scriptures, God gets angry. And there's probably most notable in the life of Jesus when he turns the table in this moment of anger. But here's the difference between often our anger and God's anger is that God's anger is always born out of love. 
God and Jesus, when they get angry, it is not out of control and it never manifests itself in insults or malice towards anyone else. God's anger is always in response to evil, injustice or corruption. And, 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 and so that's for another day, but I wanted to say that. But um, for me, it's a very cliche thing to say, but just the other day I was um, doing a daddy kind of trip with my daughter. We were taking a trip to Chester Zoo uh, and life was great. We were singing nursery rhymes in the car. She was laughing at me. Life was brilliant until the moment that some person undertakes, undercut me. And then there's just moment of, of rage and hand gestures and beeping of horns and flashing of lights. And then from somewhere, this torrent of words came out towards the other driver, which I can say weren't blessings from the Lord. Um, and, and I just suddenly thought, where did that come from? I mean, if it's not traffic for you, it might be something else that kind of lights your fuse. Uh, but when we have those moments in life when the fuse burns out and I lose my temper and my patience, and what I can often do is I'll put the blame on something else. It's because I'm tired, I'm stressed, I've got so much on or any other number of external circumstances. Uh, but here's the thing. The Bible says that the person you are, your character is never a consequence of your circumstances, but it's always a measure of what's going on inside the heart. And Jesus said it this way. He says... Um, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And chances are that a quick temper has less to do with, with what's going on around you, but has um, uh, more of an indicator of what we need to allow the Spirit to do in us. Jesus was the most patient person who has ever walked this earth. And in Jesus, we see the perfect example of patience, especially towards people. Now, in the gospel, Jesus surrounded himself um, with his disciples, the most eclectic bunch of guys you will ever meet, all of whom were profoundly flawed, who made mistakes on a regular basis. And Jesus invested his life into these guys. He poured out his life, his love, his wisdom, his knowledge, his time, his energy every day for three years. And to be honest, I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he stuck with them, but he did. And, and Jesus would have to say things like this, guys, how long is it going to take before you get this? How long is it going to take before you understand or you get who I am? How long is it going to take you before you begin to trust me? And there's moments when, yes, his disciples messed up and they needed correction, but rather than it coming out in malice and insult, it came out with grace and love as he kindly corrected them out of a place of love and grace. And even in Jesus' most desperate moment, when he needed his followers the most, they abandoned him, they denied him. And yet, as even in those moments, his love only increases, their weaknesses became more and more apparent, even to the point he washed their feet as a servant I believe for us that our level of patience with people is such an accurate measure of our own patience and, and, and I think our patience with people is a, is a good measure of how well we love people as God would have us love people but it's hard, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to hold your tongue. It's hard to, to not lash out. It's hard to not react or be quick to anger when people hurt us, when people frustrate us, when people disappoint us. But Jesus, he demonstrated such love and patience for you and for me and the greatest act of patience we'll ever see on the cross. And in the reading that Tim read for us in Luke 23, it follows the story of Jesus um, being led to his death on the cross. And he's been wrongly accused. He has been 
killed, executed as a criminal. And all he'd done was pour his life out for the sake of others so that they would know life, love, freedom, forgiveness. And, and, and I'm going to be honest, and I, I'm glad I'm not, and I bet you're glad I'm not, but if I was Jesus, like... I'd say they're not worth it. They keep messing up. They, they don't get it. They don't trust me. They're just broken and messed up people. They're the ones that are deserving of the punishment. I mean, Jesus said himself, he said, if I want, I could get out of this. He, he said this in, um, earlier in the gospel. He said, if I want, I could call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But instead, as the prophet Isaiah says, he was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. And as he hung there, as he was nailed to a cross, he looks out over the crowd, most of whom were hurling insults, were jeering, were the ones who just hours before were kind of demanding that he be crucified. Uh, but they were the very people he came to save. And, and he looks out over the crowd and he looks out over you and I, the ones who are actually deserving of the punishment that he was taking. And he says these words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And for me, this is just the greatest demonstration of patience and love that we could ever know. Knowing how much that our sin and our flaws and mistakes, they grieve God's heart. But he does not treat us as our sins deserve. He is patient. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love for you and me, so much so that even in that moment of humiliation and shame and pain and torment and wrongdoing to him, when he could have just got out of there, he said, no, he says, Father, forgive them. And I just think about how impatient that I get, how quick to anger and how inconvenienced I feel when someone does me a wrong for something simple as cutting me up on the road. And I compare that with the beating and the dishonor that Jesus patiently endured on the cross. You know, when we struggle to be patient, maybe you struggle with having a short fuse or you're quick to anger. You know, if you want patience to be formed in you, I think we need to come to a fuller understanding of how patient he is and has been with us. Knowing the love and the forgiveness and, and the faithfulness of Jesus begins to form in us the kind of patience that is slow to anger. And it demonstrates to those around us what the love of God is like. I'm going to come into land just with this third and final point. Is that patience holds on to hope. Patience holds on to hope. You know the question that is on everyone's mind at the moment in the midst of this pandemic is, how long will it last for? How long until it's all over and life can go back to normal? How long until we don't have to live in fear or with the discomfort or the inconvenience of all the restrictions that are being placed on us? And there's this frustration that comes in times of waiting, of not having what we want and things how we want them. And it's the question that we often ask in times of trial and adversity. And it echoes the psalmist in Psalm 13 who says these words, How long, O Lord? In the society that we live in, and especially in the West, we live in a way to avoid discomfort and suffering and um, discomfort at all costs. We will reposition, we'll reorientate our lives in a way so that we don't have to... 
um, be inconvenienced or feel discomfort. And, and, and I agree with that. Like, who wants to feel, like, uncomfortable or discomfort or inconvenience? No one does, right? But when I look at the life of Jesus, when I look at the life of the apostles and the early church and all the great heroes of faith that we read about in the scriptures, how many of them lived their lives and avoided any kind of trial or discomfort? None of them did. I mean, they were placed and positioned right in the heart heart of some of the most difficult circumstances imaginable, and yet they endured. And in fact, they did even more than that. I believe they thrived. And in the midst of the worst circumstances imaginable, they did things in the power of the Spirit to advance the kingdom in amazing ways. For me, there's sometimes this sense of surprise that I get when I face hardship. It's like, where did that come from? But you know, Jesus, he said, and he's like, he prepared us. And he said to his followers, he's like, guys, you know, in this life, you will have trouble. Because the world's broken, it's sinful, it's rebellious. You'll have difficult seasons, hard times will come. But in the same breath, he said this, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Patience. Long suffering isn't about the ability to to wait out the storm, but it is in the midst of the storm to trust that Jesus is who he says he is, to believe in the power and the hope of the resurrection of all that Jesus has accomplished and will accomplish. As one writer put it, he said, patience is to trust the goodness of God the wisdom and faithfulness of God so that we are enabled to endure, to be steadfast and to hold on to hope. Here's the thing about patience. Patience isn't learned or it's not formed in us when things are rosy and everything is going how we want them. Patience or long-suffering is learned in the moments of adversity, in the furnace, in the fire, in the tough times of life. It's here in these moments where we learn to look to Jesus, to trust Jesus, to focus on him, to trust that he is who he says he is, that he is faithful, that he is true to his promises. And it, do you know what? It's not pie in the sky just to think that. We're believing that the very person, the presence of God, is real in all his fullness to come close to us in the here and now. That is what we hope for. And in the times we're living in, God's hope for his church, his hope for you and I is that we do more than just take cover and batten down the hatches till all this blows over. To me, just waiting it out for the storm to pass, that shows impatience. It shows a lack of trust that God is still at work. I think now, more than ever, is the time when the church really needs to learn what it is to be patient, to stand steadfast, to to hold on to hope and, and believe and hope in the resurrection power of Jesus that isn't quenched or diminished by a pandemic. He came to defeat that and I believe he is at work and I don't want to miss it. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want the church to miss what he's doing now. We need to learn to wait, not like passively, but actively wait to trust, to hope that he is who he says he is, that God is on the move. And in our humanity, the impatience, it rises in us when we live lives according to our own timescales, our own agendas, our own hopes and expectations. So when when people or situations don't fit in with or happen as we would necessarily want them, we become impatient, irritated, and angry. But when we live our lives wholly surrendered to God, when we choose to trust him, his faithfulness, his resurrection power, his timing, 
we're gifted with his presence and his love and he gives us new perspective. He gives us fresh hope and a steadfastness that doesn't just allow us to wait out the storm, but he allows us to thrive even in it. And this trust in the Lord, it overrides and it supersedes what we, humanly speaking, might ever expect we could do and it's then that patience is born in us. I think the season that we're in now, like what the Lord does now is going to position you for what he's going to do next. So we don't want to miss what he's doing. And in some way, we are all in a moment and a season of waiting. When will this end? How long, oh Lord? But I think for some people, um, I just get a sense that there are other things going on. And, and there's a, a waiting that's causing your heart to be heavy. It's an anxiety-inducing weight in the pit of your stomach and because you just don't know when things will change, when things will get better, when God is going to step in. And, and, and for some, it might be about your job security. For others, it might be like worry and unsurety about your finances. For others, it might be uh, in a relationship or your marriage. For others, it might just be that I haven't seen the people I love and care about in my community for so long and it's just killing me. How long, oh Lord? But what I want to do now is just give a moment. I'm going to give a minute just to wait. Don't say anything. Don't do anything. We're just going to wait And I want to ask, Holy Spirit, in this moment of waiting, would you gift us with your presence and with it patience, not just to wait it out, but to hold on to hope that you're at work and we want to see it, we want to experience it. And maybe you've got kids running around and it's hard to be quiet. I encourage you, be quiet in the chaos. It's a good skill to learn. And maybe your kids will just see you praying and in the waiting but I just want to encourage you I'm just going to give us a minute as Paul continues to play to wait Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org/media.